Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He called us to discipleship, to servanthood, to serve the lost and broken, to evangelism, to see the world know his name. We are called to pray. We are called to worship. We are called to love as Jesus loved and to live as he lived, to be righteous, to be set apart. These things are essential. This is Essential Church. Awesome. Hallelujah. So we've been starting our series. Uh, Pastor Glenn, when he came up, he told me when he walked in, you'd see the little mask he has, which you can see through. He said, thank God for these masks. He says, now I know if I'm going home with my wife or someone else. So <laughs> I said, I got to steal that. That was very good. <laughs> well, we've been talking about essential church, uh, you know, in these last days, I thought, it would be awesome for us to really have an understanding. What is essential? You know, everything, essential services and essential this and essential that. Well, how many know church is essential? And, uh, and so the church is not just talking about a building. It's talking about a people. And uh, really, what does it mean to live as the essential church in this hour? And so what we're going to walk through, just so you're reminded, is we're going to go through kind of every week. We're going to say, okay, here's, the, here's step one, step two, step... We're going to go through kind of a discipleship journey over the next few months, really talking about uh, how do I live as a disciple? How do I live as the essential church today? And I think that that's a vital thing for us to talk about. Last week, we started our series on essential church. Well, we started a couple of weeks ago, but last week, we really talked about uh, the fact that we have this incredible calling from God. And the calling from God is, is threefold. It is that we've been created in the image of God. We're image bearers. And so when you begin to understand that you're, you're you know, an image of God and you represent God in this world, nothing is more important than human beings. We've been given an amazing purpose, and that purpose is to uh, serve the world for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. You know that God gave us everything in this world in order to serve one another to bring glory to his name. That's really the intention of God. So we see this incredible calling. We're image bearers. We see this incredible, uh, you know, these amazing purpose that we've been given, but also this unbelievable uh, relationships that we've been given. You've been called to have a relationship with God, a relationship with yourself, a relationship with others. This is the intent and the heart of God. This is what God wanted to do. And so from the very beginning, we found out all these three incredible things that were part of God's design and purpose for mankind. But we also found out we have an incredible problem. And that problem is called sin. And if you recall, the, the Latin term uh, for sin is incurvitis in se, which means curved in on self. And how many of you know our whole world is curved in uh, on itself? And that curving inward, looking inward for the solution, uh, you know, uh, that creates so many problems. How many of you know when 7 billion people curve inward, that creates some issues. And so we understand that, you know, this is a big problem. And what happened is our image became marred, you know, that we're distorted. The image of God is distorted in mankind. Our purpose has become misguided. We found out last week that, um, you know, our purpose was to uh, take dominion over ourselves, 
in order that we could serve others, but what we've done is try to take dominion over others to serve us. We've misguided our purpose. Our relationships have been broken. We, we hide from God. We hide from one another. We blame. We justify. We complain. And all this is the biggest problem that has happened to mankind. What could possibly be the solution? And I said last week, Jesus is essential church. That's both a verb and a noun. <laughs> he is essential church. He is the essential church. And he's the solution. You see, uh, Jesus' mission statement, guys, is found in John chapter 17. And John 17 says this, Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. I brought glory to you by completing the work that you gave me to do. And uh, wow, that's a pretty amazing thing. So what was the work that Jesus was called to do? I believe that the, the, that work is found in this text, Luke 19, verse 10. Here's the verse that I think was Jesus' work. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, let's find out what that means for us as the essential church today and how that connects to your life and to my life. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have come to help us. Lord, we need your help. I need your help, God, today. God, strengthen us in your presence. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you today so that we might live as the essential church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know that what did Jesus come to seek and to save? The first thing that we understand, and we all would say this, Jesus came to seek and save people. And we would all say, amen, thank God, thank God that he came to seek and save people. We know this because, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish, but should find eternal life in him. And so we know that Jesus came to seek and save lost people. And, and you think, well, you know, it seems like, Pastor Greg, you described the problem last week, and it seems so much bigger than, than what could Jesus possibly do? And so what I want you to understand is I've taken this verse, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and what I did is I looked at the original Greek, and I rebuilt the verse. This verse could actually be rewritten to say this, and we're going to read it together. You can read it on the screen. It says this, the Son of Man has a passionate desire, a wholehearted requirement to seek after that which has been destroyed or is perishing or has been marred or lost and to restore it, heal it, preserve it, and make it whole again. Woo! Now that's, <laughs> now that's got some teeth. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that I've got to read it again. It's just too good. I mean, this is, a, this is, the Son of Man has a passionate desire a wholehearted requirement to seek after that which has been destroyed or is perishing or has been marred or lost and to restore it, heal it, preserve it, and make it whole again. Whoo! Now, 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 now we see the bigness of the mission of Christ. We see it in this verse. And understand something, church. This is actually compelling and calling to you and I because now we are the essential church. We have to require, we have to demand, we have to say, God, I'm going after that which has been lost, that which has been marred, that which has been broken, and I'm here to restore it, to see it brought back to you and brought back to the way that you've always intended life to be lived. You see, the most valuable thing on this earth is people. Your bank accounts aren't valuable, your cars aren't valuable, your houses aren't valuable, 
people are valuable. That's it. Everything else fades away. People are essential. You see, God came to restore our lost identity, to refocus our eternal purpose that we could help others find their way home to God, to give us relationships with him and with others. It seems awesome. It seems incredible. But understand, you know, it's even bigger than we could possibly comprehend because Jesus not only came to seek and save lost people, but he came to seek and save a lost promise. If you understand that, then you begin to understand the fullness of the mission and the work of Jesus. What am I talking about? A promise. A promise. Well, this promise was, you know, that has been lost and Jesus came to find is found all throughout the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament, they journeyed toward the promised land and we see this, the promises of God. But understand something, God has established and established all throughout the Old Testament this thing called covenants and the covenants of God were between God and mankind. Do you follow with me? God and mankind, a covenant is like a marriage. You understand? It's like a, a binding agreement. And so God said, if you'll do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, you're not going to be blessed. And so we had all these covenants, all these agreements, all these promises of God. Are you following me? And so we found out last week, we actually looked at the first covenant in the Bible last week. This was last week's sermon. It's called the Edenic Covenant. And the Edenic Covenant, Eden's Covenant, was this. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, and, and have dominion over it, and use its vast resources for the glory of God and the good of mankind. That was the covenant. God is saying, here you go. Do this. This is incredible. This is awesome. I only have one rule. <laughs> Remember? Don't eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, because if you do, you'll die. So what do we do? We eat the fruit, and we break covenant. Are you following what I'm saying? And of course, that created a problem right away, but how many know God knew we would do that? And so right away, he gives us the next covenant, the Adamic covenant. And so the Adamic covenant was basically like, you know, you just blew it. You just messed up totally. But understand something, your seed will come and crush the head of the serpent that deceived you. From your seed will come the power over what you've just lost dominion to, you've lost to the enemy, but I'm going to tell you, your seed, Adam and Eve, is going to be rise, rise up and he's going to crush the enemy. Are you following me? So we got the Adamic covenant. Now we move on to the Noahic covenant. <laughs> the Noahic covenant is like God looks at mankind and says, man, are they ever wicked. The Bible says it grieved God's heart that he made mankind. So he said, I'm going to start over again. And he wiped them out by the floodwaters. Terrible story. But then after he wiped them out, this is what he said. Though every inclination of men's hearts is bent towards evil, I will never again destroy the earth by floodwaters. And, and I will place a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of this covenant. <laughs> so God, again, establishes the covenant. He establishes the covenant. And he takes, listen to me, he builds an ark and he takes the seeds of all the animals and mankind, and he starts over. And he says, I'm not going to destroy mankind. Every time you see a rainbow, say, thank God you're a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, the Noahic covenant. Then we get to the Abramaic covenant. And the Abramaic covenant is like this. Take possession of the land, Abraham. Be very fruitful. 
And then he says this, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed. And the Bible says, now understand something, guys. Abraham's 99 years old. He's dead. Okay, I'm, I'm just telling you, he can't produce life in and of himself. Think on these things, the Lord will give you wisdom. Okay? It's not possible. His wife is 91. He is 99. And God says, you're going to have a baby. You know the story. Of course, he already had a child years earlier, 25 years earlier, 20 years earlier. Ishmael, 14 years earlier. He says, if only Ishmael could live under your blessings. Like, I've already done it. You just bless what I've done, Lord. (laughs) You know, that's not good. And so God says, no, 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 no. You, though you're as good as dead, you're going to have a son. And your wife's going to give birth, and you're going to call him laughter. Why? Because I hear your wife laughing right now. She thinks this is very funny. And so they do. They have a baby called laughter. And, and God blesses them. Now, understand something about Abraham, guys. Abraham knew he was as good as dead. He knew that if he even when he was called to sacrifice that son and lay that son down, he did because he believed God could raise him from the dead. And so God called him the father of faith. Now, many people, scholars, say, well, Abraham's the father of faith because he's really, he's connected to, the, to Islam, he's connected to Judaism, and he's connected to Christianity. Three major faiths in the world he's connected to, but understand he's the father of faith because he believed God, though it was impossible. It was impossible. He believed God. And so we see this Abrahamic covenant of faith. 430 years later, God gives another covenant. Here's the next covenant, the Mosaic covenant. We call it the law, Exodus 3, 19, verse uh, 19 and 20. Uh, the law comes. That do this and be blessed. Do this and be cursed. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. All those things are given under this next covenant. How many of you know mankind is really good at breaking covenants? And of course, what do we do? All have sinned and fall short. We broke the covenant. And so the Mosaic covenant comes and we're kind of messed up again. We can't do it. We can't fulfill the plot promise. We can't take the promised land. And then comes the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant comes and it's like he says to David, your offspring, your seed shall rule forever and forever upon the throne of God's kingdom, and that's what's going to happen. And so David's like, I'm so excited. My kids are going to be kings forever. How many of you know David blew it? How many of you know his kids blew it? How many of you know the nation of Israel was wiped out, carried away to Babylon? Do you understand? So their seeds didn't make it happen. Something was wrong still. You see, we need to understand that all of these seeds, you and I, have never been able to access the promises in ourselves. Never. We never have been. See, God wanted to bless mankind with the fullness of life that he had for us, relationship with him, incredible identity, incredible purpose, but we've broken covenant every time. Us seeds can't make it happen. Well, let's jump back now to our text when I told you that Jesus came to seek and save a lost people and a lost promise. Let's see if we can understand that from our text in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see Jesus was, so being short, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus watched the spot, he looked up and said to him, reached the spot, looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why is this story significant? Lots of reasons. First one is this, Zacchaeus, the Bible says, is a chief tax collector. Now you need to understand this, and we've talked about this before. Uh, <laughs> the tax collectors were anathema. They were, they were considered absolutely evil by the Jewish people because understand their role they worked for Rome, collecting taxes from their own people to put into the Roman coffers. They were just doing their job. But I'm going to tell you that the people, the Jewish people, hated tax collectors. And the Bible actually, not in the Bible, but they actually created laws that if anybody at all dealt with a tax collector, you weren't allowed to have any relationship with them. They were not allowed to come to the synagogue. They were not allowed to show up at church. They, you were not allowed to buy, sell, or trade with a tax collector. So the Jewish butcher, the Jewish baker, and the Jewish candlestick maker could not sell candlesticks to tax collectors. They were completely cut off from their, their, their ability to connect with the society, the Jewish society. Are you following me? They were despised people. You wouldn't even talk to them. You would not relate to them. Jesus looks up and sees the chief tax collector... This guy's like so notorious. He's so hated. He comes to him and he says, Zacchaeus, man, come on down. You're the next contestant on the kingdom of God. Woo! Amen. And so he comes down. And he says he welcomes him, which is great. So Abraham is called the father of faith, which is the next thing we need to talk about. Abraham's called the father of faith. Here's this, here's this wicked tax collector, according to the people, and Jesus invites him into a relationship. But Abraham's called the father of faith. You see, the Jews asserted, listen to me, Jewish people asserted that Abraham was their father. And because Abraham was their father, all the blessings of Abraham come to us. So all the inheritance comes to us, all the promise comes to us, all the blessings are ours, the promises are ours, the prosperity is ours, the inheritance is ours. We're the children of Abraham. And Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus gets into an argument with him and he says, you guys, if you're the children of Abraham, then you would believe me because Abraham saw me from a distance and he believed me. Even though it happened 3,500 years before Jesus came, Abraham saw it by faith. That his seed would one day show up and the nations would be blessed through that seed. And so they start to argue with Jesus, of course, like, how can you say you've seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. That's ridiculous. And he says, oh, you guys, you don't even have a clue. Before Abraham was even born, I am. 
I'm God. <laughs> I'm the God you're trying to reach. You see, the promise of God all throughout the Bible church was to have a relationship with God. That was the promise. How do you have a relationship with God? And Jesus is basically calling these people to comprehend it's not through your religious works and effort. Understand something. The Jewish people mixed covenants. The first covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, was a covenant of faith. But the Mosaic covenant was a covenant of the law. So they thought, we are good enough for the blessings. Look at how good we are. We've lived up to all these things. We've done all this stuff right. And, and we're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus is like, you guys have missed it, man. It's not by what you do or what you fail to do. It's by having faith that you receive the blessings. And so they get in this argument. And Jesus calls this wicked tax collector to the kingdom of God. And he says, because this man believed me and invited me into his home, he receives the blessings of Abraham. All the promises. Hallelujah. You see, it's amazing. Jesus said these things, though all of us seeds have fallen short, he is the seed of the promise. He's the promised seed. He's the promised seed of the Noahic covenant. He's the promised seed of the, of, the, of the Adamic covenant. He's the promised seed of David. He's the son of David who will rule on the throne forever. He's the promised seed of Abraham. Jesus is the seed, singular. The Bible uses that word seed in a singular format. Not plural, not us, not by what we do or fail to do, but what Christ has done. Hallelujah. See, understand, this is so amazing. Abraham's covenant actually comes before the law. It supersedes the law. <laughs> and it's a covenant of faith. I mean, if you don't believe what I'm talking about, here we are. Let me just let the word of God speak. Here we go. Galatians 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ... There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. And so suddenly we see that Jesus is the seed of Abraham, this promised seed that was to come for you and for me. But they didn't quite get it. You see, they still lived under covenants. They still thought of covenants. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Understand, you're Jewish. You've lived your whole life. You're, under, you're writing co covenants just keep coming. You blow one, he gives you another one. You blow one, he gives you another one. You blow another one, he gives you another one. Covenant, covenant, covenant. So they all click their bics. They all have bics. They click them. And Jesus says, Jesus, you know, they say this to Jesus. What must we do? What must we do? To receive the promise, what, what must we do to inherit eternal life? What must we do to live in the blessing of God? And they all click their bick, they're waiting to write, and Jesus gives them the answer. Here it is, the next covenant, here it is. The work of God is this. Believe in the one that he has sent. Okay, number one, believe in what he has sent. What's number two? Refer to number one. <laughs> End of covenant. I'm getting too excited. My microphone's popping off here. Hang on. <laughs> 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. First, Second Corinthians 1.20 says this, No matter how many promises of God is made, they are yes in Christ, and through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. You see, they rejected Zacchaeus because he was this dirty, rotten sinner. But they failed to realize that all of them had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it wasn't through their obedience to the law that they were blessed. It was only through faith. It was only through their welcome of Christ and the acceptance of Christ, the invitation of Christ and, and trusting Christ. Zacchaeus, listen to me guys, who had his whole life lived rejected. His whole adult life he had been rejected by his own people. They wouldn't even talk to him. They would not even deal with him. Jesus comes on the scene and says, man, I've come for you. I've come to seek and save you. But I've also come in to seek and to save an incredible promise. I want you to understand this text is so rich. It's like a mini Bible. Because listen to this. Jesus enters Jericho. Why is that significant? Because the Old Testament promised land, the entry point to the promises was a city called Jericho. And so they had to go through Jericho to get to the promises. It was their first thing they came across. And so back when they came out of Egypt, the Israelites came out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. They came out, they come to go across the Red Sea. Then suddenly they're standing there and they're facing this walled city. And it's incredible. They send 12 spies in. The 12 spies spy out the land. Ten of them come back with a negative report. We're like little tiny grasshoppers. They are giants. We can't do it. Grapes are the size of my head. We can't do it. Two say, no, we can do it. God's with us. We can do it. We can do it. But they listen to the 10 and God says, you guys, you're now going to wander through the wilderness until all of the men of fighting age drop dead. And the Bible records, believe it or not, records, and you can read this in Deuteronomy 2.14. We always think it's 40 years in the wilderness, and it is true, it is 40 years, but it was 38 years 38 years until all the men died. Hang on to that thought for a minute. The second group, after all the men died, after 40 years, 38 and 40, we'll get there in a minute, they take the promised land, but listen to me, they don't keep it. Why? Because encurvitis and say, mankind cannot live up to the covenants of God. We can't keep our end of the deal we constantly fail and you say well what's the hope then what's the hope and i want you to understand you know they didn't trust christ they trusted in themselves but jesus goes through this city to make a statement listen what he says the seat jesus the one seed of abraham goes through jericho because he's making this statement that which was lost is now found and restored to all who come to me will also come into the promise. Why am I saying that? Because everything, church, everything, everything, everything comes through Jesus. And everything comes through faith. You know why I highlighted that number 38? Because you can read John chapter 5. There's a story of the five covered colonnades 
And the Bible says that, um, that told the story that whenever the angel of the Lord stirred the pool, that the first person into the pool would be healed. And so guess if you were sick, where you would hang out? The Bible says a great multitude of people was around the pool. Why? They wanted to meet the requirements. They wanted to be the first one in. They wanted to be, oh, maybe I can make it. But there was a guy there who was paralyzed from birth at 38 years old. He was how old? 38. And the Bible says when Jesus heard how old he was, he said to him, do you want to be made whole? There's a whole multitude of sick people. But Jesus picks one man. Why? Because he represented the entire nation of Israel. And why 38? It represented that in and of themselves, they could not fulfill the promises. It was not until they died to self that they could truly trust Jesus. Does that make sense? This text is so rich. It's so incredible. Everything, everything, the forgiveness of sins, relationship with God, healing from sickness. By the way, that man got healed. And then they persecuted him because he picked up his mat when Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk home. You know, we, we are, I'm going to tell you, we're kind of like those sick people sometimes, as, even as the people of God, church. Listen, we're adding to the gospel. We're a Jesus and people. Jesus and if I do this, I'll be blessed. Jesus and if I do that, I'll get, I'll get what God wants for me. Jesus and, I'm going to tell you, there's no Jesus and. It's just Jesus. And God is calling the church, the essential church, back to faith. Church, listen to me. Everything in this world is shaking. The dikes are breaking. Walls are coming down. Mountains are crumbling. And mankind is trying to hold it up. Are you following me? He's, he's trying to hold up the... Everything's breaking. We can our, stick our finger in the dike. It's a whole mountain that's about to come down on you. You cannot do it on your own. And let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is the first one that has to step up to the plate and say, God, forgive me for trying to add to the perfection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help me to receive the promises of God that I can live this life of faith, that I can be free. You see, we need to place our faith 100% in Jesus and not our own effort. Doesn't the Bible say that the righteous shall live from faith to works? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that in your Bible. If it does, throw that Bible away. Right? The righteous shall live from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. You see, every day Greg Fraser wakes up. I don't know about you, but every day Greg Fraser wakes up and the temptation of my soul is to add to Jesus. I have I have incurvitis and say disease. I am constantly curved in on self. And it's only as I lift my eyes to heaven. It's only as I force my vision upward. It's only as I let go of this world, let go of myself and say, Jesus, you are enough. Thank God I'm so weak. 
Next week, I'm going to talk about what Jesus does to restore the promise that he actually establishes a new covenant. But this is going to blow your mind. The covenant is not between us and God. It's between Jesus and the Father. And we abide under that covenant by a thing called faith. So I can't blow the covenant. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But you got to come back next week for that sermon because I'm not giving that one to you today. So here we are. The most unlikely candidate in all of the Bible in this situation was Zacchaeus. The guy least deserving. The guy that could never earn it. Certainly didn't deserve it. Jesus goes after him and says, Zacchaeus, I want you. I have come for you. And I've come through Jericho because I'm restoring the promise that was lost. I'm taking it back. And I'm giving it to all who will believe. Let's close in prayer. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I, I kind of have been that Jesus and guy. Thinking there's more I need to do. Trying harder, trying my head off to please God. And all I need to do is constantly, totally abandon to him and trust him. And place my faith in him. And if that is you here today, if you're that person, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Greg, I want to live by faith and by faith alone. I want to live from faith to faith, from faith to faith. Yes, many of our hands are going up. Amen. Come on now. Really, honestly, every one of you should be raising your hand. I'm just, uh, just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> but you do whatever you want. Jesus sees living from faith to faith, trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus. And when that worm, the devil, tells you you're not doing enough, you need to try harder, you need to do more, all you need to do is hold up Jesus. Oh, he did enough. Oh, he did enough. He did enough. Amen. And if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, listen, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot live this life on your own. You never were meant to. You are broken, helpless, and in need of a Savior. But the Bible says if you will confess Christ with your lips and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you invite him in like Zacchaeus did? If that's you here today, just raise your hand and wave at me and say, Pastor Greg, I need to give my heart to Jesus. Hallelujah. Give me a wave morning we had two people that gave their heart to Jesus if you're online and you're watching right now and you need to just make that commitment say Jesus just come in and forgive my sins fill my heart with your life I need the promise keeper to come in and live the seed of David the seed of Abraham the seed of the promise that's you. Let us know that you made that commitment online.
So we have a record of that. You can go online and find that place for first-time commitment. Send us that record. Come next week, church family. Look at me now. Come back next week. Hear how Jesus has built a better covenant. Whew. This is how you live as a disciple. It is by faith. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for your people. Bless them with peace today. Bless them with joy today. Bless them with understanding today. God, help them not to think that they live under the old covenants, but they are invited into a new covenant, one by faith. I thank you for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today, man. You can go and get a coffee or a water or hang out and get to know somebody. If you don't know someone, say hi to them. That would be great. God bless you, church family. Pray for the next service as you leave. Go in the grace and peace of God. Amen.